You turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the chapter we read together from 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. And we can read again the words from verse 5, where Paul is instructing, reminding us, edifying the church. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer for a moment. Lord, we seek your face, we seek your presence. What more could we ask than for the smile of God upon us today? Be pleased, Lord, to come in among us and do us good, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, our leader, our instructor in holy things. For we bless you that here we have no continuing city, for here we are on a pilgrimage, here we are on the way, on the way that has at its head that that name, the highway of holiness. And we enter there through repentance and faith. And we enter by Jesus, who himself is the door. And we thank you that we have such a saviour who came into this world to seek and save the lost. And to do so, he gave himself unto death, even death on a cross. And so may we today be drawn to him. May our hearts burn within us as we think of the light of the glory of the gospel revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. These things we ask in his precious name. Amen. If ever we're looking for a, a maybe a mission statement or someone comes and asks us, what are you Christians all about? What has the Christian church got to say today? Well, verse 5 gives us what a wonderful answer. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Here is the, the beating heart of the New Testament, the revelation of God's plan of redemption as we refer to it, of what God has done in this world for us today. Tragically, sadly, so many people who remain obstinate and remain unconvinced and unconverted will, will, will dismiss these claims and say, well, what's God ever done for me? Instantly rejecting any notion that God has already provided in the most amazing and incredible way. He has given his son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of the gospel today that is our hope, our joy, our comfort. We gather today in the name of a risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who came into this world to seek and to save and gave himself a ransom for many. Here then is the source of our encouragement, our motivation, our enthusiasm as Christians. Having this ministry, this ministry of a new covenant, a better covenant, a ministry of the righteousness of God, 
We are in there in chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul speaks of being a servant or a minister of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. The spirit which gives life. And so how he knew it. And how he persevered in that ministry. Travelling from Corinth to Ephesus to Athens and back uh, to Antioch to Jerusalem. And round again when we read of his missionary journeys. His zeal, his energy, his commitment, his church planting, his evangelism. His nourishing and nurturing of infant congregations. There is the key for his motivation. The spirit gives life. As he would say himself. Paul may plant in Apollos water but God gives life the increase. And so he says, we do not lose heart. And I love the the emphasis here at the beginning and the end of this chapter where we find that that repetition. In chapter 4 and verse 1, there's the phrase, we do not lose heart. And then again in verse 16, we do not lose heart. And he was never afraid to repeat himself, and neither should we. And when we find repetition in the scripture, we pause, we take note. What's he saying to us here? Why the repetition? Why the emphasis? Because are we not so prone to do just that and lose heart and become a bit discouraged, a bit downcast, a bit downtrodden, a bit, well, we do live in the day of small things. That is such a statement of defeatism. And so we reject it. And we achieve the balance in life by reading chapters like 2 Corinthians 4, which reminds us of the heavenly perspective of things that takes us to the message of grace, the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. This message of grace that breaks through unbelief, that shatters uh, opposition and enmity and changes us from the inside out, bringing us from being enemies and children of wrath to being children of God. The message of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Here we see in this chapter something of what happens when God works in our hearts. And that's where chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 take us. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is it then we believe today? What do we assert, maintain, and defend? What is it that we, that we contend for earnestly with all the saints? We assert, maintain, and defend that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That's God's work. Our work is to sow the seed, to assert, maintain, defend, explain, and at times when we have to apply and keep explaining and keep applying and keep sowing and keep shedding what? This message that Jesus Christ is Lord because this is our hope and is the hope of everyone in Lewis and across Scotland today. We believe then that Jesus Christ is Lord and we refuse to deviate from this truth. Notice what he says in verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. How many denominations, individuals, ministers, bishops, priests, whoever they may be, could do with once more reading these words. Because there's a problem abroad today, and the problem is that uh, this that this this phrase he uses here to practice cunning, it, it's it's to walk in craftiness. And people today they look around, ministers, 
church leaders, denominations in our nation today, they look around and they think, well, we can't say that. That's not going to float in culture today. Modern society won't have this. We can't speak about judgment and hell. We can't speak about the need to be forgiven. We can't speak about the, the, giving account before the right the, the throne of God. We can't talk about these things because that just won't float. We need to, we need to appeal uh, to culture by getting alongside our culture. And then what do we begin to say? We say nothing that offends. We say only what fits in. And we forget, or such forget, that what they're doing is they're tampering with God's word. To tamper here is to, it's a word that literally means to adulterate, to corrupt. To corrupt what, ultimately? What we proclaim, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are his servants, for Jesus' sake. And so we accept that it's unpopular to talk about the need to be forgiven. We accept that it's unpopular to talk about the moral compass, the way of faith, the need for repentance, the reality of hell, the glory of heaven, and that to forsake one and anticipate the other, we must come in humility to Jesus and call out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what we sang of in Psalm 130. Who shall stand if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity? None of us. None. But yet with thee forgiveness is. How so, Lord? Because of Jesus Christ, who is Lord. So let's think about two things together today about what Paul tells us here about the gospel. And he says, there's several references to the gospel in the short chapter we've read together. I want to just, focusing on 5 and 6, consider two of them today. And that is that the gospel alone dispels the darkness. And secondly, it is the gospel alone that gives us life. Firstly, the, the gospel alone dispels the darkness. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful flow there is in this verse that contrasts darkness with light, that contrasts uncertainty with certainty, that contrasts rebellion and unbelief with revelation and Jesus Christ. The gospel then dispels the darkness. Our stand together today is fixed. Our anchor is secure when our stand is taken in Christ alone. That's where he was in chapter 3 as he comes into chapter 4. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. What ministry, Paul? The ministry that he refers to in chapter 3 and verse 12 as we have such hope and we are very bold because of the new covenant that has been revealed in Christ of which he was a minister It is the life-giving message of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. How often do we read it? In the Acts of the Apostles, in the church planting, in the evangelism, in the confrontation with unbelief and people who reject Jesus, be it the traditional Jewish hierarchy of the day or the Roman culture in all these cities around Galatia and into Cappadocia and across to modern-day southwest Turkey, where all these churches are planted. Again and again, we have the message Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you will be saved. A message of forgiveness that leads to salvation through a personal trust in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian hope, and that's what defines every Christian here today. Regardless of our background, regardless of of our profession, regardless of our standing in society, what career path we have, what family we enjoy being part of, these things are wonderful. But what each one of us stands by today is that the gospel, if we are Christians, the gospel has dispelled the darkness that once held us in its grip, the darkness of unbelief and indifference. That is the darkness that the gospel dispels. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. Paul's gone right back to Genesis. He's drawing on the creative power of God. Let there be light. And thinking of that awesome utterance from the Almighty, Paul draws a picture, draws a line. And he sees from the the declaration in Genesis, let there be light, and there was light. And in that moment... In the history of this world, Paul sees an image, a picture, an illustration of what's happened in the hearts of men and women who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. He said, the Lord who said in creation, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to create newness of life. And in so doing, the darkness of unbelief is dispelled. This passage then acknowledges, firstly, the power of unbelief. He acknowledges the natural spiritual condition of the heart. We have it here in verses 3 and 4. These people who, who tamper with God's word uh, and, and reject the open statement of truth are doing so because, verse 3, the gospel to them is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glorious Christ, who is the image of God. And in that condition of darkness, they continue. There is a resistance to the gospel. There is a rejection of the gospel. There is a denial that Jesus Christ is Lord. We read The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so we are called to stand. We are called to make a stand. Isaiah in chapter 7 puts it this way. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Christian friends, we need to be firm. We need to be firm in our belief. We need to be firm in our conduct. We need to be firm in our practice. We need to be firm in the practice of of our faith, our religion. We need to be often as possible at the means of grace. We ought to often be as, as possible, be in fellowship, worship, and ready to give a reason for the hope that is within. Because that hope that is within is this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. You see, this is all about divine initiative. God said, let there be light. This is the grace of God. Breaking through and dispelling the darkness. Driving the darkness away. The Lord finds us in the darkness of unbelief. And the wonder of the gospel is he does not leave us there. Christian friend, we reflect in our testimonies, don't we? And remember the time in our life where we mentioned last night as well, we would never be here. A preparatory service for a communion season? No thanks. 
We had something else to do, somewhere else to be, something else to think about, someone else to focus on, other than the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we were not captivated by him and drawn to him. We did not love him and trust in him and rely on him and walk with him every day. We were in the world, in the darkness of unbelief, blinded and veiled to the wonder of the gospel. And then the light of the knowledge of the glory of God broke through. What's happening then? What happens then, friends, as you know, you begin to feel. You begin to feel the depth and reality of the predicament that we face. We begin to learn. We begin to understand. We begin to see that without Christ we are lost. This is the beginning of the light breaking through and dispelling the darkness. And we learn through God of our need to be forgiven by God. This is amazing grace. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. And suddenly the the attraction and the power and the influence of the world and worldliness begins to go, begins to fade, begins to be broken. Remember how how, um, Bunyan describes Pilgrim coming to the cross, that the straps holding that Burden on his back begin to creak and crack before finally they break as he comes to the foot of the cross and that burden rolls away and bounces down the hill and rolls into the sepulchre, never to be seen again. The light of the glory of the knowledge of God has done its work and broken through the darkness of unbelief. You see, we learn through God in his amazing grace that this talk in the Bible of the sheep that has gone astray, that's us. The prodigal, that's us. The lost, that's us. Zacchaeus climbing a tree, that's us. The Greek saying, sirs, we would see Jesus, that's us. Lost, in need of a saviour. And so we come. As such then, we gain the knowledge we need to respond to the good shepherd the great shepherd of our sheep, we realise and discern our need of a saviour. And then we read the wonderful words of Romans in chapter 3. All have sinned and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we see in the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ that this gift is free. That the offer of salvation is free because the work has been done on the cross. We all just need to come to him in repentance and trust to be made right by being made new. The darkness is dispelled. Now darkness is something in itself. Darkness is the absence of light. That's what darkness is. There is a scale discovered recently. It's called the Bortle Scale. The Bortle Scale was created in 2001 to measure levels of darkness, from true to pure, all that kind of stuff. 
Scientists talk about darkness not being an entity of itself. It's a state of affairs. Darkness is a condition that exists when there is no light. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're approaching the Bible's definition of darkness. Because spiritually, we are not plunged into darkness. We are born in darkness. We are held by what we call original sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's not popular today. People don't want to hear that. So many churches won't declare it. We ask God for his grace and mercy to keep us from making that mistake. From turning away from the glory of the gospel. From continually declaring and proclaiming, Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we notice that in chapter 4 and uh, verse 2, Paul has already touched on this. He's speaking of an open, an open statement of truth, which leads him finally to his wonderful words that we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the truth of the gospel that sets us free. Here is the verity of the New Testament. Jesus was dead and now is alive. Why did he die? Because the sin of the world was beyond our payment. And the demands of divine justice we could never meet. And so Jesus came to pay the price we could not pay. To meet the demands that were beyond us. It is the truth of the gospel then that dispels spiritual darkness and leads us to understand first of our helplessness. And then of where we find in Christ the help we need. So we go from being hopeless to coming to the one who becomes our hope. He himself is our peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where we go for reconciliation. That is where we go for forgiveness. That is where we go to be made right. Don't make the mistake that Martin Luther made of almost driving himself to despair and anguish and depression in the practice of an outward religion. Thinking that if he just went to Mass and if he just went to Matins and if he just went to Evensong and if he spent several hours a day in the confessional, he'd be okay. That eventually, at some point, he would earn the forgiveness of God. That he would somehow, by these practices, merit the love of God. That he would somehow, at some point, impress God enough to receive the touch of his forgiveness and the joy of his righteousness in his heart. But the more he tried, the more miserable he became. Until he came to these words in Romans. That we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then the darkness was dispelled. The despair was driven away. And he was made right by being made new. In accepting the gift offered in Christ. The darkness in is dispelled. Secondly this. It is the gospel alone that gives us life. It is the gospel that gives us life. The gospel gives us life because... And only because it brings us to Christ. That's what happens when we come in repentance and faith in response to what we hear. 
We come in response to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of the gospel, who is the the final declaration of God to the world, who in times past by the prophets spoke to us, now in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And what does he say? Come to me, and I will give you rest. Do this in remembrance of me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Though I will be with you always to the end of the age. We see Jesus We turn to him, we trust in him, we live for him. Because in Jesus our sins have been taken away. It is Jesus who deals with the dilemma that the light of the gospel reveals that we are lost. We are that lost, straying sheep. And that under the wrath and judgment of God we have no hope. And then suddenly the light of the knowledge of the glory of God says there is hope. The cross. And so we go there. In Isaiah chapter 61, we read these wonderful words. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That is how we come to the table tomorrow. Conscious that we have been clothed with the robe of his righteousness. And dressed in the garments of salvation provided by Jesus. And so we go to the table because we have been saved. We don't go there to be saved. We go there in obedience. We go there to be nourished. We go there to feed and receive in faith what the Lord has for us. A banquet. A feast. Spiritual sustenance and spiritual vitality in order to fit us out for the road ahead, for what Monday may bring, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and next week, and next month, and next year, as we live to his glory. You see, our hope has a name. Our hope is not a system. Our hope is not a liturgy. Our hope is not in the the functionality of what we call a communion season. All these things point to who our hope is. You see, our hope has a name. Our Redeemer has a face. And that's where these words take us. Because the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. With God, it's personal. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. The gospel gives us life. We're told that we will see his face that we shall be like him maybe you noticed uh, a number of weeks ago there was a big splurge in the press that scientists and uh, people involved in I think it was University of Dundee had um, through various uh, I think I took a note of it photogrammetry and this process had had allowed them and what they did uh, they took hundreds and hundreds of 3D images of the death mask of Bonnie Prince Charlie And what they were able to produce at the end of this process was the most accurate, uh, lifelike depiction of what he actually looked like. Because when he died, they took a plaster cast of his face. And there's a great hubbub in the press about this, and this is what he looked like, and this is what 
he probably looked like in life. We were almost certain this is what he would have looked like in his younger days. I was quite taken with it for a while, but the more I read about it, the more kind of depressing it got, this obsession with death and death masks and what he might have looked like. And to me, it's just such a contrast we find in the New Testament, especially thinking about these things, the face of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us the day is coming, we shall see him as he is. No need for technology or 3D images. It also tells us we shall be changed. And then it tells us we shall be like him. And so we gather at the table in anticipation of that time, looking up, looking to Jesus, thinking about the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Our hope has a name. Our Redeemer has a face. That's what theologians refer to as the dust of the earth, the throne of heaven. Our Saviour, our Lord, he gave himself for us. You see, the glory of God that departed from the temple, so vividly described by Ezekiel and others, returns in full in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the glory of the gospel, the glory of Christ, as he refers there in verse 4. He speaks of this glory as the image of God. And that's why we proclaim him. Because he's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, who came into this world to save the lost. This is who captivates Paul. This is why Paul goes to him, because he is altogether lovely. It is the light that shines from the gospel, from the face of Christ. That is the hope of his preaching, his mission endeavours, his church planting, his letter writing, and ultimately his martyrdom. Because Paul would say that for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because at that moment he would see him as he is. And he would be changed and he would be like him. The heavenly hope that is underneath these words and speaks to us today. I hope it resonates in your heart because this heavenly hope is all about Christ's glory and beauty, Christ's love and perfection, Christ's grace and tenderness. He draws us, doesn't he? He thrills us, holds us, captivates us, humbles us, fills us, motivates us as we seek to live for him and seek to live to his glory. One of the main, if not the main, reasons for returns to Amazon, research has revealed, is item not as described. That does not apply to Jesus. When we come to him, he does hold us and he does captivate us and he does thrill us and humble us and fill us because of his glory and beauty and love and perfection and grace and tenderness because he gave himself for us. 
Paul says so famously, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With God it's personal. Yes, we look to Christ. And we're not the same anymore because through Jesus we walk in newness of life. And to give us that newness of life, he veiled his glory in coming into the world. And yet in the gospel we read, we have seen his glory, glory as of the Father, full of grace and truth. And how he longs to reveal that glory to each one of his own. John 17, the wonderful prayer of Jesus. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And as we reflect on that, we anticipate again the table where we don't see the temple in all its paraphernalia and its trappings and its uh, gold-plated ornamentalism we see bread and we see wine we see his broken body and his shed blood we see the price for our forgiveness and we remember it is the gospel alone that gives us life but our life came at the cost of his death and so we remember him till he comes again And we remember that we are speaking here of Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And so, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 16, we do not lose heart. Because we have Christ. And Christ has us. So what do we do? We persevere. We endure. We contend. We run. We fight the good fight. We obey. We press on. We have a walk that is worthy of the calling with which we have been called. The Christian friend, our progress in spiritual things can, of course, vary. Sometimes it's a sprint. But more often than not, it's a marathon. And more often than not, rather than a sprint, it's a plod or a slow walk. John Piper puts it this way. One of the greatest heartaches in the Christian life is the slowness of our change and don't we feel that especially at a communion season sometimes we feel the table the table the bread and the wine the token can I go there what matters most of all today friends in anticipating the table is not a token in your pocket, but Christ in your heart. And with Christ in your heart, you belong at the table. Because Christ is there. And he is a nourishment and a banquet and a feast for you. Prepared, secured, won at the cross where he gave himself for you and now says, Obey me. Come. Proclaim, sit, share, join, feed, feast, remember. And so, yes, sometimes we feel the heartache of the slowness of our change because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we all know very well that sentiment of Paul's, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? As we fail and struggle and fall. 
But friends, this heartache in itself is evidence of the newness of life coursing through your soul. You long to be with Christ. And until that moment, our purpose is to become like him. It's Christ's likeness that is our motivation and the driving force in the heart of every believer today. And we feel so often and so much when we're not like him. And when we fail him and we let him down. And that sense comes rushing in again. Well, I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. That's why he died. That's why there's a table to sustain us and nourish us. It's been very wisely said that no army is brave without supplies. That's very true. If the logistics and the supply chain is broken, an army will either starve to death or run out of ammunition and have to surrender. One or the other. Every army in the history of the world has needed to be supplied and our spiritual army is the same. And so we go to the table for that sustenance, that supply to nourish our hearts. And so we contend and strive and run and fight not to belong to Christ. We already belong to him. But we contend because we want to honour him and be like him. Again, just to finish with Piper, he said, being on the way, being on the way is proof that we have arrived in Christ. That was a lovely way of putting it, that being on the way is proof and evidence we've arrived. Friends, the newness of life that we have in Jesus that comes to us through the gospel captivated and drove the apostle until his own martyrdom. His final letter, 2 Timothy written from a prison cell under the sentence of death, with death and execution looming over him. Chapter 1, verse 1. He wrote to Timothy, his successor, and speaks of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. The Roman cell and the judicial travesty of justice that was hanging over him, the executioner's block, which was maybe just a few short weeks away, never robbed him of that certainty and it cannot rob us either that the promise of life in Christ Jesus is ours because the gospel, you see, dispels the darkness. But it does more than that. The gospel gives us life. Newness of life in Christ. This is the light that has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And may we develop and nurture that knowledge and light more and more each day. Let's pray together. Lord our God, for your goodness to us, we bless and praise you. We thank you for the knowledge we have in Jesus, the light that has shone into our hearts, dispelling the darkness, breaking the chains of sin and guilt, driving us to the cross there to find the, the solution to our hopelessness, hope in Christ. Be with us, Lord, as we seek to make progress on the way. Bless us through word and sacrament, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll turn to the Psalter and we'll sing our closing praise from Psalm 43. Psalm 43 in the Psalter. 
page 264, and we'll sing from verse 3 to the end of the psalm. We'll send thy light forth and thy truth. Let them be guides to me, and bring me to thine holy hell, even where thy dwellings be. Then will I to God's altar go, to God my chiefest joy, yea, God my God, thy name to praise my heart. I will employ Psalm 43 from verse 3. We'll sing to the end. Oh, send thy light forth and thy truth. Let them be Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.